episode 44, Terry McDougall, executive and career coach, author of Winning the Game of Work. My favorite mistake was, it's actually a bit painful, but it's probably one that I learned the most from. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes and a chance to win a copy of Terry's book, go to markgraben.com slash mistake44. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Terry McDougall. She is an executive and career coach. She's a speaker. She's a best-selling author of the book. Uh, For those of you on YouTube, you can see it over her shoulder. It's called Winning the Game of Work, Career Happiness and Success in Your Own Terms. Um, So I'll tell you a little bit more about Terry. After 30 years of corporate business experience, 15 of which were in senior management roles, Terry chose to become a coach in 2017. Um, So Terry, uh, congratulations. I guess it's been a few years in now, but um, thank you for being a guest here on the podcast. Mark, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. And I also want to mention um, that Terry has a relatively new podcast called Marketing Mambo. So I encourage you to go check that out. So I hope that's been a fun experience hosting. Oh, it's been a blast. I, I absolutely love it. It's so fun. Well, good. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and I hope everyone will um, check that out. So we have all kinds of things we can talk about today, but you know, first things first, as, as I know you're ready to do, Terry, um, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake. Okay. My favorite mistake was, um, it's actually a bit painful, but it's probably one that I learned the most from. When I was uh, in my, I guess, two jobs ago, I worked in a marketing department for the head of marketing for a particular business. And I guess you could call me sort of his right-hand person. You know, I was sort of the first person that he'd go to if he had new projects. And, you know, I worked really closely with him. Well, he left the company and I had worked at that company for about eight years. And I thought, you know, I think I'm ready for that next step up. I'm going to apply for his position. And it, it actually took them a few months before they even posted for it. And in that time, I had sort of informally stepped up and was sort of you know, leading planning efforts, interfacing with people in the business. So sort of the de facto leader of the group. When it came time to interview, I, I sailed through the first round of interviews with, or the first round with HR pretty easily. The second round of interviews was a panel interview with, um, I worked in a large bank, so marketing was pretty big. And the panel interview was with basically some people in other areas of marketing, and I knew them, uh, but I didn't work with them on a daily basis. And I also did not do anything special to prepare for this interview. I just thought, okay, I work here already. I've already stepped up. I'm doing the job. You know, I I thought that I was the heir apparent. Well, Mm -hmm. 
I got into that panel interview. It'd been a long time, probably like eight years since I had interviewed. And I went in and I bombed. I got the flop sweats. I was tripping over my words. And I I think part of it is also a panel interview. That can be tough, right? It just feels like you're sort of on on the interrogation line. Um, But needless to say, I did not advance in, uh, you know, beyond that. And that hurt because I thought, you know, gosh, I know this stuff. Even the guy mm-hmm. who was running it before me relied on me for a lot of the ideas and everything that, of things that we did. Um, well, I decided that, okay, even though I'm eliminated from that, obviously I had a big gap here that I wasn't presenting myself confidently. I had some gaps in my interview skills. So, it, and it's funny to think about this now because this was probably... I don't know, 15, 17 years ago, something like that. And I remember like scratching my head and saying, I think there's something called like a career coach or something like that. <laughs> and yeah. and this was even before Google. So I think I went on Yahoo and I was like, okay, career coach, <laughs> let's see. There happened to be one in my town. I called her and at the time I thought her rate was really high, but I decided, I'd, and it's funny now because it's like a fraction of, <laughs> of what I charge, but uh, uh, I invested in myself. I spent, you know, a while working with her. She really helped me recognize what I was going to need to do to move up to that next level, right? Talk about myself confidently, think about how I add value and how I can talk about that. Mentally promote myself to the next level. I actually went out and went on a shopping spree and and sort of did a little makeover so that I would be viewed as somebody who was ready for that next level. Well, it ends up that the the person that they eventually offered that job to turned it down. And I guess they just didn't have another candidate that was a good second candidate. So they started the process all over again. And um, interestingly enough, I, I applied again, and I, I didn't know if I would be, you know, selected to interview, but I was. And it ended up that I went all the way through the process. It got down to me and an external candidate. I felt very confident. I can still remember sitting in the boardroom with the CEO of our division and his, you know, two uh, highest level executives there. So, again, it was the panel interview, but I felt really comfortable. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get the offer. The other guy, the external candidate, got the offer. I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, they knew me, and I think they thought he was going to bring something new and fresh to the role. And of course, that hurt to be a two-time loser. Um, were, but, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but were, were you still acting in that interim role? Yes, there was nobody. Oh there was nobody to do it. You know, I was the senior most person in the department, and uh, so I was I was doing it. Um, but of course, it hurt. And then, uh, of course, the, well, uh, the day that I found out that I didn't get the job, I went out to lunch, and when I came back, there was a voicemail on my my phone from a recruiter for a role that eventually I got the offer for. But during this time, I got another job offer and I had another interview that was active with another uh, another bank. And so by, you know, say three, three months later, I had two job offers, actively interviewing for a third. I took one of the job offers. It moved me here to Chicago. 
for a job that was much better than the one that I missed out on twice. And so, you know, I guess my lesson there is that really there's no mistakes. There's just opportunities to learn and improve. And certainly I'm, I'm so proud of myself that I didn't crawl into a cave and lick my wounds and say, I guess I'm just not management material. <laughs> no, right. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, so, it's, I mean, it sounds like there were lessons that you were able to take away from, from each of those rounds. I mean, you mentioned yeah. there were some trying to analyze, um, why you, you, you know, as you, uh, Hate to use the word bombed, but that's that's the word. I did bomb. Now, that, the that, first, the first round used, I did. I mean, the second one, I I think I uh, I did really well. Actually, getting to the finals was was good. It's just I think they wanted something different. Yeah. Um, so that first time, if I remember right, you said there were the, you, you maybe took it for granted. You hadn't interviewed for a while. I did. You were in the role. You didn't prep, and I guess that's something you would caution people against. I say, yeah, I mean, yeah. when I'm working with people, you know, because I'm a career coach, so I actually um, tell people that there's really only three ways to add value. You either help the company make money, save money, or reduce risk. And had mm. I taken that, it used that as a lens and looked at myself and said, okay, what are the biggest accomplishments that I've done in the, the time I've been in this role? And I had been prepared to to sort of like, almost put myself on the table like a product and talk about myself, you know, in a more objective way, that would have mm -hmm. served me very well. But I went in saying, saying, um, well, I know myself, <laughs> you know, I can talk yeah. about what I've done, but I couldn't talk about it in a way that was, was persuasive and demonstrated the value that I had added. I could just say, mm -hmm. oh yeah, I did this stuff, but it, I think some of the um, one of the lessons that I I learned and it was was that even though I knew these people, they were in different parts of marketing. They really didn't know in any depth what we did in that mm -hmm. department that I was in, and I wasn't really prepared to talk about that in a you know sort of in a business case type way. You know, and I, I realize now that they probably looked at me and said, yeah, you know, we like Terry. She's she's nice and she seems smart. But, you know, I didn't demonstrate it when I went into that interview. And uh, I definitely took it for granted that people would see me the same way I took uh, I saw myself instead mm -hmm. of realizing, you know, I had to go in and make the case. Yeah. Now, um you know, I want to bring, uh, maybe you know, a question related to coaching that you're doing now. Um, this this question is outside of my expertise, so I'll ask it, and I hope it's not a bad thing to ask. But you see news stories about the role of gender as much as you can generalize. Yeah. Um, women um, talking, uh, you know, being less willing to talk themselves up, or the dynamic of of men, generally speaking, are less mm -hmm. afraid to apply for a job that they're quote unquote mm -hmm. unqualified for. Um, what, what I mean, you know, between your experience or uh, from what you saw in the corporate world or people you coach with now, can you generalize like that? Or what, what sort of trends or differences do you see? Well, I mean, it is a generalization, but I definitely see that women feel like they've got to do more things very well. 
And a lot of times men are a little bit more goal oriented in terms of like, okay, well, what's the most important thing that I need to work on? And I'm going to sort of put the blinders on and focus on that rather than, you know, and I, I'll speak for myself, I'm definitely mm-hmm. recovering from this, but, you know, looking at the to-do list and feeling like I have to check everything off the to-do list rather than, you know, sort of triaging things and saying, what's the most important thing I need to do? And, and frankly, what can I delegate to other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or not to. And there's, <laughs> yeah. And when you think about, you know, interviewing process, um, the last time I went through a traditional interviewing process for a full-time job was over 15 years ago mm-hmm. um, myself. And um, I mean, you know, thinking of the interview panel experience, that's one form of un- unpleasant. I remember, I think it was a summer internship in college at a company where I went through, it must have been eight or nine sequential interviews, and I was exhausted yeah, of that is saying exhausting. the same thing. Of answering the same questions, you basically. You got to a point where you're like, did I tell you this already? <laughs> I've said this so many times today. Yeah. A different kind of difficult. But, I mean, maybe, you know, it kind of goes back to a question around um, what should be the role of a panel interview? Or is, is that, is your coaching people, what, you know, is, is that happening just as often today? Or are companies taking different approaches? Um, I am not seeing, I mean, occasionally companies will do a panel interview, but in the people that I work with, you know, most, most of the time it's a one-on-one interview. Um, Mm -hmm. what you described is not uncommon where, uh, they may have a few sequential interviews. Um, I have had those days where I, one time I flew to California for an interview when I was getting out of business school and, you know, I think I left the East coast at like. 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning and, and went to San Francisco. And they, in, I had to interview with like seven people sequentially, and I didn't do well um, and w- because I was exhausted. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, and, it's a long uh, day. I, you know, when I look back at that one, I'm like, I should have insisted that they send me out the night before, um, mm-hmm. you know, so that I was really rested. But I just didn't, you know, I, I didn't really know that I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think of nowadays between the pandemic or just evolution of um, technology, there's probably the, the risk of a Zoom panel. It's, it's mm-hmm. easy to do technically, whether that's the best mm-hmm. approach for interviewing and evaluating. Uh, who knows? But what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think that part of the reason why companies would you know, why they use a, a panel interview to begin with, but also it's easy to do it with, with Zoom, is that it saves time. Um, you've got more than one person seeing exactly the same thing because certainly I've, um, you know, been in the, I was in the corporate world for a long time, and sometimes, you know, you'd have several people interviewing a candidate at different times, and every once in a while you'd end up with radically different perspectives on the candidate, like mm-hmm. one person saying, I think we found our person and I love them. And the other person saying, oh my gosh, please do not hire them. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what was the big difference? Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is open to interpretation in terms of like, oh, well, they didn't mean it that way. Or, you know, I took that as humor or whatever, where somebody else might've said, gosh, that was, you know, they answered that, that wrong. So I think that that can be that can be one reason why companies use it. There's actually something else that's happening these days, which 
it's becoming more and more common, which is um, asynchronous interviewing, <laughs> where what they'll say that? that means that they send you a link with maybe there's somebody on video, not live, recorded, asking you the mm. interview, and then you go onto a, a system and you record the answer to it. And then hmm. it gets sent back, and they just, on their own time, are reviewing people's recorded answers to the interview questions and hmm. making a decision about who they want to advance to the next level, which, you know, it's it definitely becoming less and less high touch in some in some situations. I, I think in those yeah. cases, it's probably more where um, they have to hire a high volume of people. If you, you know, do something that feels foolish or you make, you know, you make a mistake, um, it's really what you do after that that matters. And I'd say some of the biggest, even most humiliating things that have happened to me in my life have actually eventually yielded the best things. Um, you know, in the story that I told, I think the the key part of that was me having the courage to really face my deficits and do something about it. It hurt. I thought highly of myself. <laughs> and, and I it did sounds not, like I didn't like looking at myself like a loser and and I especially, mm -hmm. you know, from an ego standpoint, I still had to see those people that I, you know, I had the flop sweats with. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's good. I, I don't hear you blaming anybody that, you know, blaming the format of the panel or, no. or whatever else. It, it was that, all on me. You, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. But I also, mm. you know, I hadn't been tested in a long time. And I, I wasn't, I mean, a lot of times when I'm working with clients right now, they'll be like, I haven't interviewed in 20 years, right? And, and like, how do you even test that? You know, how do you practice? I actually have tips for how people can practice if you, if you want them. Sure. Um, no, yeah. Go ahead if you don't mind sharing um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell people to think back over their career, their last role, and come up with 10 or 12 success stories and to write them out. What was the problem? What was the action? What was the result? And how did you measure it? And practice them. Get them down mm -hmm. so you can say them in, you know, 90 seconds. And, um, and those are your answers to pretty much anything that you get asked. You know, you might want to yeah. think like, okay, well, what's one where they're going to ask me, like, what's your biggest weakness, right? That, mm -hmm. Because if you come up with 10 or 12 stories, and then um, you can usually spin them to answer just about any behavioral interview question, which, is, which are the ones that are like, tell me about a time when, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, and what I think that 
preparing in that way does is that it turns it from feeling like an interrogation where you're sitting there like, oh my gosh, what are they going to ask me? I'm getting, my hands are getting sweaty to, I have a presentation about myself and I'm ready no matter what they ask me to present something that I've done that puts me in a good light. Mm -hmm. So it, it really changes the mindset and, um, you know, you, you can talk about yourself in a way that's, it, you're less self-conscious, I think, usually. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so when you, you know, talk about getting back up um, after that interview, you got back up, you continued doing the job, you got back up again with some um, help and coaching to mm -hmm. um, get back up and, uh, and try it again. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, I mean, having those experiences how does that help you as, as a coach? I mean, does it help you relate to people where they, you know, they, they might be intimidated and think, oh, well, my coach is perfect. She's never made any mistakes. Oh, yeah. I mean, in my book and in my coaching, I tell people, all the, I mean, if they want to hear it, I don't like say, hey, let mm -hmm. me tell you about the time. But I, I'll ask them, <laughs> you know, I had something similar happen. Would you like to hear about it? And, you know, I think that when you've got a story and it has a happy ending, it can be very inspiring for people because then they realize like, oh, I'm just in the middle of the story. I'm not at the end of my uh, or I'm not wow. at the mm -hmm. end of this part of the story. Um, and there's there's a saying, I don't know if you've heard this one, like when you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of that same thing. Like yeah. you might be in a painful place, but you're in a transition from you know, one place to another. And if it feels uncomfortable there, don't just stay there. Keep going. Get yeah. out of it yeah. to the next yeah. thing. Um, and it's probably going to be challenging and uncomfortable and so forth. But, um, you know, you'll learn. You'll become stronger because of that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, when the new guy started, who was, you know, that was awkward, too, um, because he was my competition. Uh mm -hmm. He came in and started picking my brain about all of the ideas that I had for marketing. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I was very cooperative. I'm, I'm professional. But deep down inside, it lit a flame. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was, I was <laughs> mad because I'm like, okay, you're, you get the, the job and you get the, you know, the extra pay and bonus and all of that kind of stuff. And, I, and you're going to take my ideas. And yeah. I mean, it's his prerogative as the head of the department for sure. But it really lit a flame in me that like, you're ready, like go and get it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did. did. And I did. You did. You did. Um, you know, you mentioned that, that biggest weakness job interview question, um, that, that, that gets answered in cliched ways that I'm sure we've all heard of, but you know, I try to make sure this podcast is not the same sort of thing of, uh, you know, I try to coach guests in advance, at least through some of the notes, like, please don't have a story where my favorite mistake is that I was just so darn successful. I mean, there could be some element that then that led to, um, you know, some version of hell, but the point's not talking about the hell it's the redemption story. Yeah, exactly. So I like what you said about, um, you're in the middle of the story, the ending of it, you know, hopefully has a happy ending. And that's where you know, I've gotten feedback listeners of this podcast series say, well, for being a show about mistakes, it ends up being uplifting. I'm like, well, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> right. Because if it was just like, you know, I didn't get the job and still it's 20 years later and I'm still doing the same old <laughs> job Yeah. that I, I, and I just decided that I don't deserve 
you know, advancement. Yeah, that wouldn't be a very exciting no. podcast. No, um, that would be sad. So, but, you know, that you brought up uh, one of the biggest, uh, I think, I don't know, issues that people have or like fears that they have. Like, what if they ask me that? Like, what's your biggest weakness? I've got something that I advise people if you'd like to hear it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have recognized that um, for most people, their biggest weakness is their biggest strength overused. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when you overuse a strength, it gets you into trouble. And so I recommend to people, like, think about a time when, you know, maybe you're very detail-oriented, right? And you were so detail-oriented that you couldn't let that report go so that it was finished on time. So you tell the story of, like, okay, I'm very detail-oriented, and, you know, this happened, uh, this is... Um, you know, say my boss came to me and, you know, had to, had to like kind of rescue me so that we could get the report done. So what I've learned since then is that when I get a new uh, project, I'll look and say like, where might I need help? Or, and then I'll, I'll line up that help to like maybe help me proofread or review so that I can finish it on time. And since that time, I've never been late with a report. Mm. So, yeah. because There's, nobody wants you to tell on yourself or air your dirty laundry. When when they ask that question, they want to know that you have self awareness, that you can mm. take feedback, that you're a big enough person to, you know, to recognize that you're not perfect, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. anybody that thinks they're perfect, there might be some problems, right? Because nobody <laughs> <Right>. is. <laughs> Somebody who says they're the best at everything and they know the most about everything that wears thin very quickly. Yeah, exactly. That's probably not going to be a good, very, a very good collaborative team environment if, that's, if you got no. Superman on no. your team. Right, right. But, but what you described there, I mean, that there was a bit of a story arc again, where there was a redemption story. Yeah, of exactly. Learning how to deal with it or mitigate it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in interviews, you're just telling stories. Right. People yeah. like stories, yeah. too. And I think sometimes people think like, oh, well, they're they're here to analyze me. No. Like and, and if you if you've ever interviewed people, the people that come in and are confident and they've got good stories and they wrap it up and put a bow on it at the end. You love them. You know, yeah. the people that are like scratching their head. Well, I can't remember if it was 10 percent or 15 percent <laughs> increase in revenue. Uh, I could get you the report on that. You're like, who cares? We're <laughs> just, not going to just say know. twelve and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Fine. Um, so one other question I wanted to ask you, Terry, um, um, you know, on, the, on this idea of mitigating um, risk or mitigating mistakes. When we, we had a chance to talk um, in our in our pre-call, we kind of discovered a similar view around, um, you know, preventing big mistakes by doing small tests of change. Can you share some of your thoughts on that for us? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think any time that you've got something, you know, any project or any decision that you need to make, it's always important to look at both the upside and the potential downside. And 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 really seriously look at the downside. I mean, I think some of the biggest mm-hmm. debacles we've seen in the economy have been when nobody, you know, thought that the stock market could go down or something like that, 
right? Like, yeah. oh, or, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible a, for housing values to go down. Exactly. That was a bad exactly. Assumption. Or that nobody's ever going to default on a mortgage, right? Yeah. Um, you've got to look at the possibilities of both. And if there, if, if there are some things that you don't know about, um, you know, there's some factors that you just don't have a line of sight into. Sometimes, you know, the whole idea, I think it's like basically design thinking, right? Like, okay, let's take what we do know and let's run a, a smaller experiment and see what right. we learn by doing this. And a lot of times, you know, maybe it goes great and then you have the confidence to, you know, go ahead and roll out a larger campaign or whatever it is that you're doing, or you learn something that's going to allow you to make that next iteration more effective. Mm -hmm. And I imagine in the context of, let's say, a large bank um, or a large um, company that has sites all across the country, there are um, test markets and pilots and small tests of change yeah, for the sake yeah, of either absolutely. validating or learning and making mm -hmm. it better before a rollout. Yeah. And we did talk about that um, the other day about um, a software platform rollout that was going to have a lot of integration with kind of the service aspect that was delivered in the local branches. And uh, the leadership was very keen on this. And they, they wanted to do a broad rollout, but I was very nervous about that, um, you know, the interface between what we did with the software and how the people in the branches were going to kind of deliver on their part of it. I had my doubts. And so mm -hmm. I, I found a, a market where the, the market leader was, was um, amenable to, to doing what needed to be done to run the test. And, you know, much as I, I feared, uh, there were some breakdowns in, in mm -hmm. sort of like the, the integration between what we did on the technology and what the human part did. And I was, I was extremely thankful that I did it, that I went small, that I did a, a beta test because had I gone large, it would have been a pretty epic fail. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I, I would have yeah. lost my job. It was hard, though, because there was Those a lot are, of pressure. There was a lot of pressure because yeah. they were only looking at the upside. And I was like, uh, there's a possibility of downside here. And I saw, you know, I saw yeah. what they were. Yeah, as much as um, I value and we talk about um, learning from mistakes, that doesn't mean all mistakes are equally good. So I've been fortunate to have been taught, you know, this idea of, um, you know, it's better to make small mistakes than it is to make the big one, that the small mistakes create learning that prevent the big, huge um, catastrophe. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I mean, that's why we do test markets and focus groups or, you know, find, uh, you know, a lot of times whenever I was trying to do something new within the organization, I would find somebody who was, you know, an ally or an, who got it, right, who understood mm -hmm. what I was trying to do, because I knew that they would be a closer collaborator than if I tried to roll it out and include people that didn't get it or were, were resistant because sometimes when people don't understand why you're trying to do something new, you know, whether it's conscious or not, they may actually sabotage the, um, the effort. Right. And, yeah, um, right. that can be really, that can be really deadly from a career standpoint. <laughs> right. You don't take that human factor into consideration. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's, 
I'm glad with the coaching work you do, um, we'll, we'll help people avoid deadly career mistakes. We don't want to start another podcast series called My Deadly Career Mistakes. No, that we definitely don't does want not to sound do that. Like fun. We do not want to do that. No. <laughs> so um, again, our guest today has been um, Terry McDougall. Her website, you can learn more about everything that she does for people at Terry, it's T-E-R-R-Y, B McDougall with two L's. It's just spell. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, TerryBMcDougal.com. My mistake. Um, and again, her book is called "Winning the Game of Work: Career Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms." So I hope you'll check that out. And her podcast is Marketing Mambo. Real quickly, what's the story behind the name? Why Marketing Mambo? Well, um, quickly. I was talking with one of my clients who's a marketing consultant, and we got off on this sort of like nerdy marketing tangent, having mm -hmm. a wonderful conversation that we both thought, wow, we're really talking about some cool stuff here. And she said, this would make a really good podcast. And I thought, you know, I'm enjoying this, and I think I would enjoy mm -hmm. doing it on a podcast. So um, I decided I wanted to do it, and I'm thinking like, okay, marketing career insights, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, you know what? I want it to be fun. Like, what goes with marketing? <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I thought, Marketing Mambo, that sounds fun. And actually, Mambo comes from an African dialect called Yoruba, and it means to talk. It's actually oh. um, Mambo in, in this particular dialect. It's actually used in modern-day slang basically to mean, hey, what's up? So mm. that's kind of what it's about. Like, what's up with marketing? <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you, Terry, for telling the story, and I hope people will go um, check that out. So um, thank you for you know, sharing your story, what you learned from it, and um, how that's helped you help others. So Terry, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Mark, thanks for having me. Again, I want to thank today's guest, Terry McDougal. I want to thank you for listening. For show notes, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake44. And don't forget, you can enter to win books from previous guests. You can go to markgraven.com slash contests to learn more. Thanks for subscribing. Please rate and review us too if you have a chance. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes and how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive as our guests have. I've had listeners tell me that they've started being more open and honest about their mistakes in the workplace, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe for people to speak up about problems, because that leads to improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.